do a quick check that we're picking everyone up. So this is me, Peter. Andy. This is me, Peter. Andy. (laughs) (laughs) This is me, Andy. Hazel. (laughs) This is me, the greatest showman. (laughs) Pass it on. (laughs) And this is someone else. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Welcome to episode 113 of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are Dan Watkins, Ian Mayer, Peter Johnson, Andy Chandler. Sorry, I just heard when you said Peter Johnson, I heard John Farthing. Sorry, 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 sorry. Are you missing it? Sorry. (laughs) I was like, Peter, no, your name is Peter. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. Are you saying John's haunting the room? Can Mm. you see John now? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. Hellraiser 5's yeah. the best one. <laughs> <laughs> it is buff or bluff time for this episode where we'll be bringing lots of nerdy trivia. But can the team work out what is true and what is fiction? Plus, it is time for the return of our shameful gap feature as one of us has never seen the film Cool Runnings. Possibly more than one. Possibly yes. more one than of one. Us. <laughs> one of us. So, let's start the show. It's warm. It is. I'm bake, <laughs> baking slowly here. It is midsummer, the time of year, not the film. I, I haven't seen the film, but do they do they kill each other? I have not seen it either, but I believe so. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was told it would be too graphic and violent for my sensibilities, mm-hmm, so I have too. not watched it. They mm-hmm. wear flowers in their hair, meet good friends, and murder them. Although, Ian, you told me not to watch something this week, and I still did. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> I was quite clear. The uh, film trailer for uh, Smile yeah. coming out soon. Yeah, Smile, a horror that involves smiling and looks mm-hmm. terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. There's it's... a massive jump scare at the end of the trailer involving a head where it's not supposed to be. <laughs> 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 hey, Dan. Hi. Welcome back. Thanks. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Oh, good. What that ner- was nice. <laughs> what nerdy news do you have for us? Well, I've been in that London for a few days mm-hmm. recently and saw some good nerdy things. If you want to see big Hollywood celebrities acting in plays, then Amy Adams is appearing in London at the moment in mm-hmm. Tennessee Williams' The Glass Menagerie, mm-hmm. which is a play from the 40s that has quite a famous reputation. And it's her West End debut. Despite six Oscar nominations, she has not performed on the London stage before, and she is well worth seeing acting in person. She's very, very good in the play. Mm. And we also went to an exhibition called Inspiring Walt Disney at the Wallace Collection in the central London, just behind Oxford Street. And it takes French decorative arts from the 18th century, which is a niche audience, I know, and how it inspired things like Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast. So you get original concept drawings, you get model sheets for characters like Lumiere, where the animators have written notes of how to animate them, such Mm -hmm. as no toilet hands, when he's lifting up his candelabra arms and the wicks of the candles are pointing at something, they have to point in a certain way or it looks like a toilet seat. And it's just full of fascinating things into the history of animation and what inspired animators, what they look for in objects. There's a painting in the Wallace Collection called The Swing, 
which is an 18th century lady being pushed on a swing by a suitor. <clears throat> and it's, you know, if you like 18th century Rococo paintings, it's, it's really well known. <laughs> if you don't, I you've love got the a, if in that. I know. <laughs> you've got, hey, lots of people do. If you listen to the animators talking on the audio guide, they point out things in this painting that I would never have seen, but that they notice as animators that inspire them to create characters in these Disney films, the way that the painters create the figures and the way they make them move in a still image inspires an animator to create a moving image. Mm -hmm. So if you're into animation at all, I definitely recommend going to that. Which inanimate object would you like to animate the most? In the words of Cogsworth, if it ain't Baroque, okay, don't, don't fix, fix it. it. <laughs> Best line in the film, cut out of the live action version. Uh, really? Yeah, it's not in there. Oh. Ian McKellen would have said that line in the live action version. Now I have two reasons not to watch that. I know. <laughs> it's a scandal. The fake tears as well. Like, oh. <laughs> oh, he just is yeah. so satisfied with it, which it should be. Absolutely. It's a yeah. great line. I'm going to continue to poke you um, oh, no. for answers. Ow. As possibly our biggest Star Wars nerd, we haven't had you on recently to talk about what you think of Obi-Wan. Uh, yes, I've watched all the episodes now. Is everyone else all finished? I'm, I think, one behind. Uh, we're cut up, yeah. But it's fine. Don't worry about spoilers. Okay. Um, spoiler, he survives. <laughs> Kel surprise. Yeah. Luke survives. Darth Vader, still alive. I think we can test <laughs> all of that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, quite an unsurprising finale. They're a little bit hamstrung, aren't they? Yeah, like, everyone yeah. has to end up where they need to be. Yeah. But overall, it's solidly in my middle tier of Star Wars. I've got the top tier, which is pretty much the original trilogy, Rogue One and Rebels. And there's the bottom tier, which is prequels, Rise of Skywalker, Book of Boba Fett. Mm -hmm. And then everything else is the middle. And I think Obi-Wan is comfortably in that middle level. It was good. I didn't love it. It didn't need to exist, but mm. it was fun while I was watching it. But if it had been a really character-led thing following this trajectory of a man who is so disappointed by things that have happened around him, disappointed in himself, you know, how he kind of comes to terms with those things, but instead they sent him off on a galaxy adventure. Yeah, I think that broken, lost his faith Obi-Wan from mm. episode one, the first episode was my favourite of the six. And if we'd stayed just with that character, it might have been another series just set on Tatooine, which could have been a problem as mm. well. That's true. But there was a lot more plot than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. And it did feel a little bit like they're going the same route as the Mandalorian in lots of ways with a small child to protect. Episode two gave that hint. It does manage to avoid those comparisons as it goes on. But... Okay they must have thought at some point, well, that formula works for a Star Wars TV show. Yeah. But I, I agree it's middling, as in it's certainly a lot better than Boba Fett, but Mandalorian still is the peak as far as I'm concerned so far. Yeah. Ian, you're going to say something? Yes. So, so I'm a seen... fan of the Jedi hunting inquisitors, <laughs> Ian. <laughs> the inquisitors are badass. They're so cool. Yeah, I've seen loads of criticism of like Obi-Wan Online. I think people generally like taken to it, but I've seen... I've seen some sort of quite hard digs at it. And those people should shut the fuck up and sit the <laughs> fuck down. This is a fantastic Space Wizard TV show. What is wrong with you? Ewan McGregor's great. Ewan McGregor is great. You yeah. forget how good an actor he actually is. And some of like the individual moments 
One, when Uncle Owen just like, trashes him, talking to him. and Burns him worse than Obi-Wan burned Vader. Absolutely. <laughs> the, the wounded look on his face is remarkable. And he gets a few of those, like these moments where they just give him a beat to like, just articulate what's happening. So in the final episode, and this isn't really a spoiler, he's going to face Darth Vader. He's going to have a big fight. There's a moment where he pauses just before getting off his spaceship, knowing that he's going to, you know, potentially his death. And it's brilliant. I was like really, really into that. And on a Star Warsy front, you know, aren't Baru fucking Dex and Inquisitor? <laughs> Who doesn't <laughs> want this? What's wrong with you people? Yeah, I really took to it. It's been what it's been a pleasant kind of weekly fun thing. And I think it's very in the mold of like uh, the Rebels cartoon, which me and Dan are both fans of. I think the translation into live actions made people perhaps be a bit more critical of that sort of formula, but it's really worked for me. I have a slightly dissenting opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good thing you're sitting down then. <laughs> it does have its virtues. Um, I agree that uh, Ewan McGregor was very good. I like the Obi-Wan character, what they did with him eventually. A bit too much plot stuff for me, but I did like that. I like the interaction with, um, with, with Vader and their dynamic. But uh, there was just every single episode seemed propelled by numerous huge logical flaws that just made me think, oh, come on, that was your plan? Or how did you know that? Why didn't you do that? You did that before. Why didn't you do it again? And I'm constantly sitting back with my arms folded, smugly thinking, yeah, I could have written that better. When I absolutely, <laughs> I absolutely yeah. couldn't. I'm not a writer and I'm stupid. But um, yeah, there's just tons of things that just took Andy, me out of it. Andy, these aren't the plot flaws you're looking for. <laughs> Although you do wonder Move why along. people don't check for trackers on their ships. Especially if you're on the run, you might want to make sure nobody's following you. Would anyone like to know my thoughts on Ms. Marvel? Or nope. shall we leave that alone? Ms. Marvel is current. I think it's really good. I know mileage may vary. Take it away, Andy. <laughs> I'm not watching any more of that. Uh, it doesn't work for me at all. I don't like Kamala. Her primary characteristic is that she's deeply self-centered and I haven't really found anything else about the character to latch onto to kind of let me tolerate that while she works on it and goes on a journey and becomes more considerate of other people. And, and I know this makes her a, um, a, a realistic teenager, but I don't like teenagers. She does have, <laughs> yeah. that, that is probably more of the problem. I think a lot of Marvel heroes are quite self-centered a lot of the time. I mean, Tony Stark is mm. self-obsessed. Thor is pretty self-obsessed. Mm. Star-Lord. But things happen to them in their films that by the end of film one, they are less so. And it may be that a TV series takes more time to get to that point I really like uh, the diversity that they're, they're displaying. I think that's great for, for representation. It's great for the viewer as well. It's a different experience. Uh, I like the family um, aspect of it. Uh, there are things to like about it, but I just, I just don't like the style of it. They're very TikTok-y, very um, sugar rush, hyperactive, um, tons of stuff going on camera all over the place. It's not for me. And I don't like the idea of the super fan and the conventions and everything in that world. It exists in our reality because um, they're fictional characters, but in that world, they're real people who really fought and died. Who's making the posters? Why does anyone know the name Captain Marvel? How does anyone know the details of what happened in the fight with uh, Thanos? It, it, it doesn't sit well with me, and this may be a bad comparison, but it feels a bit to me as if in this world we had civil rights con and people dressing up as Malcolm X. 
Um, it's no, no. We don't so much have that, but the obsession that so many people still have with the Second World War, mm. which I mean, these days is a little bit more of a gap, but that obsession's been there for decades. You look at say the bestseller lists of nonfiction books or history books; nine out of ten are about the Second World War, and you know the quote-unquote fight to save the world. In our world, the closest equivalent you've got is World War II. And there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who that is their main interest, that is their main hobby, is reading about it, watching war films. My dad's one of them. Um, right from a child you know, who grew up 15 years after the war ended, he would watch war films every weekend. That has its problems in our world, but that would probably be my closest equivalent. Of course, they had World War II in the MCU as well, but that's all tied up with Captain America anyway. So even your World War II nostalgia in 616, which I think we are in in the MCU now. Don't get me started okay. on that. <laughs> uh, I was, yeah. uh, it's odd that so many people know so much about the stuff that happened. You have to wonder who's been talking, who was there, who documented all this. But I can see people getting obsessed and funny over it <laughs> funny words <laughs> i was gonna say yeah but in, i mean no one has winston churchill posters on their wall and dresses up like him and wants to be him but then i remembered the who's in prime minister yes yeah. Yeah. okay so that, that's a fair but point. i mean and, and also the superheroes almost like the ultimate celebrities in this world you know what i mean like so i am man it's like Bill Gates dressed in a Ferrari and went and fought Saddam Hussein or something. If he did that, <laughs> we'd know about it. You know what I mean? We wouldn't be able to avoid it. Like, I, that's definitely kind of, you know, how it's been played. There's something you've kind of got to embrace in this kind of world, and also in, in some others. No, I won't. You do, which is, everyone's just kind of cool with it. Half the, un half the universe disappeared and turned up four years later. If you live in New York, you're invaded by aliens every four minutes. You know what I mean? Like people just sort of get on with their lives because it's not reality. It's this, you know, hyper colorful hyper reality where problems can be solved by punching people in the face. And what's and interesting fine. is that only really started after everyone who got snapped came back. If they can be obsessed with like basketball stars, then you can be obsessed with superheroes. What if there's someone obsessed with supervillains? Yes. That's going to be a problem. He's like, I know. It's in the comics. Um, so, Andy, that's you That's you and Ms. Marvel done, but is that you and anything else she might turn up in done? Like, would you still watch the Marvels when it comes out? I'll watch the trailer and then decide, because I okay. really enjoyed uh, the first Captain Marvel film, and I was interested to see where they went with her. But I am not watching Thor Love and Thunder. So, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness has just turned up on Disney+. Plus. I didn't see it at the cinema because something was preventing me going to the cinema. Taste? The poor quality of the film. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. But, so I, I just watched that Sam Raimi-directed film, famously taken over from Scott Derrickson. I'm starting seeing a slow shift in Marvel movies. One criticism of them has been that they're all very like, visually similar and they've, they've kind of adopted a style which people say is a bit colourless or a bit flat. And I think they've been overcritical, but I think it's just because you've become very familiar with how they look. Hmm. But we're starting seeing... The screws loosen a bit. I think it's true of the Eternals. The Chloe Zhao direction has a sort of hint of naturalism in it, and it does change things a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think we're seeing that here as well. It's a very Raimi film in parts. It's got a sort of Raimi signatures. It's brighter and weirder, even if just a little bit. I'm intrigued to see if it's going to keep doing that. It's either the whole thing's going to unravel, or we're seeing this slow metamorphosis into 
whatever the next stage of these films looks like. Multiversey stuff I've started to think is not for me because I didn't love Multiverse of Madness. I didn't love No Way Home. The things I've loved most have been the street level stuff where the stakes haven't got so big that you can't really comprehend them. If the multiverse is at stake, I can't really connect to that. Mm -hmm. But if Kate Bishop's trying to impress Clint Barton or Stephen Grant doesn't know what happened in a shift at the gift shop, that I've been able to get behind a lot more. But if they stayed away from multiverse things where it almost everything matters so much that it doesn't quite matter because you can just get another variant. Mm. I, I think that's where the potential to unravel is. I think there's a greater risk than when you're just building towards Thanos. So we've got Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Oh, yeah. Then it stops. <laughs> then it stops. <laughs> then the multiverse <laughs> stops. It's the multiverse gets, like, we will see the doors closed. Let's slow it down for a bit. That's my theory on it. We've almost seen a weird soft reboot of the MCU, you know, like different characters taking center stage, so one's moving out. I think the multiverse stuff has to stop, and I'm hoping it happens there. All right, now it's time for our buff or bluff quiz. So we've all got three nerdy facts. Two of them are true. Uh, but one of them has been completely made up, and it is our job to work out which one is the bluff. Dan, would you like to go first? My buffs and bluffs this week are about one of the greatest films of all time, which turns 70 years old this year, and it's Singing in the Rain. Oh, mm, lovely. So here are three facts, not facts, about Singing in the Rain. Number one, Donald O'Connor smoked four packs of cigarettes a day which made it a bit of a challenge when he had to do dance routines like the one in Make Him Laugh. Mm -hmm. Number two, Debbie Reynolds once compared making singing in the rain to childbirth and called them the two hardest things I ever had to do in my life. <laughs> and number three, the staging of the song Say No to This in Hamilton includes a street lamp as a reference to the song Singing in the Rain. Definitely includes a street lamp, but I don't know the origin of why it's there. Have you not read your Hamiltome? <laughs> Is that the official book? That's the official book. Like the Wikipedia for Hamilton. Essentially, yes. It's got all of Limowell's genius yeah. notes written in the, the haven't, margins haven't of the lyrics. Haven't you done your Hamilton work? Well, I, I know I have, but unlike Dan, I don't have the ability to retain a million pieces of information. <laughs> <laughs> so... First one is the cigarettes. Yeah, if you've watched the Make Him Laugh routine, the physical comedy and the things he does in that, is that possible when you do four packs of cigarettes a day? Where's Ian when you need him? <laughs> <laughs> didn't everyone smoke four packs of cigarettes by then? And they probably didn't have filter tips and stuff either. Yeah. Doctor recommended, I think it was. At one point, yeah. It's make him laugh. <laughs> <laughs> make him cough. Yeah. I haven't seen it for ages. Is that all in kind of um, one take or is it edited and cut up? And it, it could have From what I remember, it's all one take. It's one big routine. I think he will have had to have done it multiple times, but, you know, running up the walls, back flipping off yeah. door frames and things like that. It all seems to be done as one thing. Knowing what Gene Kelly was like as a director, I'd wonder whether he had to do it 20 or 30 times to get it absolutely perfect. Does he like light a cigarette during a backflip at any point? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. 
So is he a bit of a, a David Fincher? And was that why the shoot was so hard and um, Debbie Reynolds saying as hard as childbirth? I think he was like that with her. Oh, um. mm. And I think it's one of these situations where she's playing a character who's dubbing over another actress in the film within the film, but she herself got dubbed over in her songs because he wasn't happy with her voice. And I think it's the good morning routine Mm -hmm. with uh, Donald O'Connor, Gene Kelly and Debbie Reynolds. Uh, That particularly was really tough for her because you've got to keep up with Gene Kelly. And if you can't, he is going to let you know about it. Mm -hmm. And he was very good at what he did as well. He was the best at what he did. Uh, You watch him in that film, no matter how many times I watch it, the the way he dances and moves is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Mm. Lin-Manuel Miranda does like lampposts, if I remember, because he was dancing about on them in the Mary Poppins remake. Yes, he was He was a lamplighter. But I, I have no idea if it's a throwback to Singing in the Rain. But maybe the reason I don't know that is because it's not true. Maybe. Maybe. What was the middle one? Debbie Reynolds compared making Singing in the Rain to childbirth at the two hardest things she ever had to do in her life. It's the kind of thing that Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher would kind of say. Mm-hmm. The one that rings the least true is the uh, the last one about Hamilton. I think I remember that there was a lamppost in it, but they don't do anything with it. It doesn't rain at any point. There's no umbrellas. <laughs> uh, no one kind of leaps up it and hangs off. And um, No yeah, one's smoking. I think... <laughs> I think- I think in, in Dan's um, twice daily Hamilton rewatches, he's just thought, there's a lamppost there. There was a lamppost in Singing in the Rain. Uh-huh. Here's a little bite of that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying no to say no to this? No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. So I'm going to go with the cigarettes because it's the one I found immediately the most plausible. So I'm going to say <laughs> that maybe that's not true. I'm going with lampposts. Three lampposts and a cigarette. The three lampposts are correct. It is exactly as Andy said. Uh, It might be true, but as far as I know, I made it up just (laughs) because I knew there was a lamppost in that bit of Hamilton. Donald O'Connor did smoke four packs of cigarettes a day and was still able to keep up with those dance routines. And yet Debbie Reynolds did compare making the film to childbirth as the hardest thing she ever had to do. Yeah, I love oldie timey health facts. You know, yeah. like everyone, everyone smoked four t- packs t- of cigarettes t- t- a day. Girls. You know, like, and, and had a quart of whiskey with breakfast. <laughs> then, you know, off they drove in their massive car without a seatbelt, and it was fine. <laughs> except when it wasn't. Yeah, except all the times it was <laughs> Excellent. Uh, who'd like to go next? My Buffle Bluff is about rejected company names. Over the past three years, more than 800 company names were rejected for being deemed potentially offensive. Here are three that were rejected. Number one, building that fought Hitler limited. (laughs) Right. Okay. Rejected, you say? Rejected. (laughs) Number two, fancy a bomb limited. Is that fancy a bomb or fancy a bomb? A bomb that's fancier than it was before. (laughs) That's for you to decide. (laughs) And number three, fork right off limited. Which one is a lie? Well, fancier bombs are dating site for people attracted to explosives. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was very upset when they cancelled my subscription. (laughs) Did you hope to get a bang? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
So two of these got rejected. Does that mean that the third one exists? This means the bluff is one I made up. Oh, okay. Do you have any information about these companies and what they propose to do? I have some theories, but I don't know if they're true <laughs> because it's actually quite hard to research this because they didn't become the company names. Yeah. Ian, is there a kaiju that looks like a building? And if so, did it fight Hitler? Not in core Godzilla mythology, but if we went to Ultraman, maybe. <laughs> Would you like to hear my theories? Yes, please. please. Okay. The building that fought Hitler was the name of a documentary series. It may have been a production company for that show. They often form companies to handle finances for a single movie. Maybe they do the same for a TV show. Hmm. Fancy a bomb might be to sell bath bombs rather than real bombs. <laughs> Fancy a bath being too, <laughs> <laughs> being too, yeah. too complex. Yep. And um, fork right off. Food-based sex toys. <laughs> Forks? No. Well, I think it might be for selling vegan sausages. So those are my hmm. theories. I don't know if they're true. It could be for cutlery that has gone past the point of reasonable use, so they're fork write-offs. <laughs> yeah, it could be um, a company who's taken against uh, Forkies from Toy Story. He is trash. Yep. See, two of those are puns. The building that fought Hitler is not a pun as far as I can tell. Mm. Mm. Is it? A significant building where something happened, where Hitler was nearly killed in one of those assassination attempts? I don't actually know. I haven't researched this documentary series that I may or may not have made up. <laughs> <laughs> was it an attempt to rebrand the Eiffel Tower? <laughs> Didn't the Nazis take over the Eiffel Tower and stick a swastika on it at one point? Don't know. They certainly they did. occupied Paris. Yeah, they, mm. they did, and they planned to dismantle it for the steel, mm. but didn't. How offensive is fork right off? In today's world, that's a fairly tame pun, isn't it? Yeah. And references to Hitler um, and bombs, um, you can see being a little more touchy. I'm going to go for fork right off as being the bluff because I think it's l potentially less offensive than the other things. Hmm. I am also going to go for fork right off. I think it's too sort of squarely a pun, whereas the others I can imagine being temp names for something. Mm -hmm. I was won over by the plausibility of the bath bomb theory, so I think that one's real. Building that Fort Hitler doesn't make any sense in my head, so it's probably true. So I, too, go with the fork. It's four forks right okay. off. That is actually the one I made up. <laughs> hey. The logic is perhaps wrong because among other rejected names are Go Fudge Yourself, go fudge Pervert yourself. Cat Limited. Pervert Cat Limited. Is that yeah. even a pun? <laughs> no. Okay. And there was a Fitters Fork Limited, which was rejected. Hmm. There was also Shit Creek Paddle Company Limited <laughs> that they rejected. <laughs> uh, I had a look at some of the punniest UK company names in a recent survey. We have a printer ink company called Alan Cartridge, <laughs> a driving instructor called Samuel L. Jackson, mm, yeah. a cleaning company called Spruce Spring Clean, <clears throat> and a white goods company called Cell Fridges. <laughs> I like those. <laughs> Terrible US business names include a US convenience store chain called Come and Go, spelled K-U-M, mm. a shipping company called Going Postal. A hair studio called I'll Cut You. <laughs> <laughs> and a bar called 
Tequila Mockingbird, mm-hmm. which I quite like, actually. Also Meta. That's a stupid name. Yes. Yes. <laughs> there is a fish and chip shop in Edinburgh called The Godfather. <laughs> and the shop front does have The Godfather font. Okay. And a little fish dressed in a tux. It's a shame that those weren't allowed. The world would be a weirder place for it. So we'll never know the building that fought Hitler then. Mm. I think it might have been for that documentary on the History Channel. Yeah. It was probably about the pyramids and how aliens saw the future and built them to stop Hitler. Oh, I, I saw that documentary. It was made by Go Fork Yourself documentary. <laughs> <laughs> Hazel, what you got? My Buffalo Bluff is uh, movies that broke records for unusual reasons. Mm. So the film with the longest time that anyone has spent running on screen is Postcards from Rome, which features someone running for one hour, 14 minutes and 10 seconds. Literally on screen all the time. Or, yeah, well, constantly. Is it Tom Cruise? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> the film with the record for the most amount of cats who attended the film screening oh. <laughs> is the Aristocats uh, movie from 1970. Mm-hmm. 52 cats were in attendance in Paris to enjoy the greatest on-screen celebration of cats. Superb. Adorable. Mm-hmm. Unlike the actual movie cats that they've boycotted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jellical cats are a different species, Peter. There's a song about it. Um, yeah, only 30 cats turned up to that one, so it doesn't hold the record. <laughs> and number three, the record for the most characters portrayed in a single film by one person is by the Indian actor and producer Johnson George in 2017's... Um, oh, I meant to look at the pronunciation of this. Remarkable bluffcraft here, Hazel. <laughs> I think this one might be true Shit <laughs> You're all just going to have to play it along with this <laughs> It's by Indian actor and producer Johnson George in 2017's Aranudinajan, a Malayam language film in which Johnson plays 45 different characters Even Eddie Murphy would balk at that 45 Did he do his own crowd scenes? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, does being John Malkovich technically beat 45 because of those yeah. shots where there are lots of people with John Malkovich's face? Because they are all played by John Malkovich, but they're not they actually... Are, he's playing the same role. But it's just a hallucination, so it's not actually... Yeah, but then then the Matrix uh, Revolutions beats that. The, bur- uh, the yeah. Burly Brawl. Yeah. And the end of it, where there's like a city or world full of Agent Smith. Well, then again, Attack of the Clones, there's like... What was it? A million ordered and 200,000 more on the way, and they all look like Tamara Morrison. Every clone is technically him, clone, even if they are all CGI. Clone, by definition, the same thing. <laughs> well, yeah, so that's so they're all different characters, so there's more than 45 mm. of them. Do, do you want um, some of the characters that he played? Yes, Ooh, please. yes please. Leonardo da Vinci, Ooh, Gandhi, like yes. and mm-hmm. Jesus. Oh. What's this film about? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find out. I'm watching that tonight. <laughs> was he blacked up for... Gandhi or whited up for Leonardo da Vinci? I haven't seen it. <laughs> Don't know. Uh, 52 mm. cats at the Aristocats screening. Super cute and yeah. must be true because it's super cute. Why 52? I'd go for a round number. One for every week of the year. Uh, is this an element of the film? or No. A... Okay, fair enough. But It was 52 because three cancelled. <laughs> The uh, one with um, someone running for, what was it, an hour and 15 minutes? One hour, 14 minutes and 10 seconds. Honestly, it rings a bell and I've not seen it, but I think it's on movie. 
I think I've heard of something yeah. like that. I could, I could see it as one of those kind of one-shot films where it is just somebody running for an hour and 14 and some stuff happens. On movie, can you search under the genre highly repetitive actions? <laughs> <laughs> no, but with um, my watch history, they start just suggesting that. To <laughs> so the movie is 82 minutes, so that is basically 90% of the screen time is running. Because you get films where it's just Tom Hardy in a car for the whole film. That's and, and it's very good. There's the film where Ryan Reynolds is buried alive for the whole film. Buried. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also very good. So why not a film of someone running the whole time? Was he a smoker? Four packs. <laughs> well, that's got to be true. Yeah. Oh, so don't know. I'm going to say the uh, Cats is the incorrect one. Because it's the cutest and the one I want to happen most. <clears throat> well, everybody wants to be a cat. Mm-hmm. Because a cat's the only cat that knows where it's at. Exactly. So that one has to be true. I think I'm going to go with the 45 characters because I can't get Attack of the Clones out of my head now. You might need surgical intervention. <laughs> it's a dangerous condition. I'm going to go for the, the cats uh, being the bluff, but I reckon it's probably a different film. No, I've, I've uh, talked myself out of that. I don't have an answer, Peter. I mean, 52 I'm... people didn't watch the actual cast. <laughs> so. Just for variation, I'm going to go for the running. Yeah, I'll go for cats um, and with no reason. Okay. So, uh, Postcards from Rome, that one is uh, true. So that features um, the character jogging around Rome uh, with his dog. So it's also the holds a record for the most amount of dog running. Mm. Um, <laughs> he's uh, yeah, he's running around Rome, um, uh, ruminating on various topics and exploring the city when it comes to life around him. That sounds mm. quite good. Yeah. The film with the record for the most amount of characters, according to the thing that I read. <laughs> <laughs> That that is also true. Um, so the film's runtime is 107 minutes. So that means that he averaged a new role every 2.38 minutes. Mm. And yes, the Aristocats fact is indeed made up. But there is a pet record. It's not cats, but it is dogs. Okay. Do you want to guess the 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 film that um, 101 Dalmatians? The most do- dogs. Can- Beethoven's second. 102 Dalmatians. <laughs> It's not. It's the Secret Life of Pets too, oh. and they showed up to um, the over 120 K uh, nine attendees to uh, screening in Brazil. Mm. That's mm. Fun. I do know that Jackie Chan has a record for the biggest number of different jobs credited on a, a film, and it was a fairly recent film, a few years ago. Some, something about a man in a lion mask. Um, but anyway, I think he, 15 different things, and this is including um, script writer and um, stunt choreographer and producer and caterer and uh, hairdresser and all sorts. <laughs> so there's, there's that, which isn't relevant, but is fun because it's Jackie Chan. This can only mean more bluffs. Mm-hmm. I have prepared. Excellent. So do you like George Clooney? He's all right. I like George Clooney. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we're, yeah. In my household, we're quite a fan of mm-hmm. George Clooney, like the Ocean films uh, particularly. And uh-huh. so... Um, so, uh, <laughs> I've, I've researched some facts on George Clooney for you. So obviously he's an actor, director, producer, and a fact for you, this isn't a bluff. This is a real one, but I find it really, really cool. Um, George Clooney was the most, uh, the highest earning actor in 2019, despite not having a film out in 2019. Hmm. So he, and f- 
remates started a tequila business four years before and they sold it for a billion dollars that year. Mm. So he's a bit well off. Uh, Anyway, so I'm going to talk through some Clooney facts and uh, see if you can spot the Danny Ocean. So uh, George Clooney's worked with Steven Soderbergh six times. Outside Ocean's 11, Solaris, Ocean's 12, The Good German, Ocean's 13. They also part own a bakery together along with Don Cheadle. Number two, George Clooney has worked with the Coen brothers five times. Four times he's been directed by them and once he's done a film based on their screenplay. But he very nearly acted opposite them three additional times. And finally, George Clooney's on many TV roles before he was in film. He was all over TV. He's been in The Golden Girls. He apparently had a semi-regular role in Roseanne. I can't remember this, but apparently that's true. But we all remember his big break in TV when he got a starring role in ER, which was a 1985 sitcom based on the fictional Clark Street Hospital in Chicago, Illinois. Which one of these is not true? Say that last one again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we all, we all remember George Clooney the first time we saw George Clooney, right? It was yeah. in ER, yeah. which was a 1985 sitcom based in a fictional Chicago uh, hospital called uh, Clark Street Hospital. This is a deliberately tricksy What's because there was, yeah. there was an ER, but it wasn't a sitcom in you, 1985. You, 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 you remember it? Hospital. Yeah, he, yeah, he played Mark Ace Colmer, an ER technician. Okay, this smug smile <laughs> tells me that George Clooney, purely by coincidence, will have been in two things called ER, mm. and the other one was a sitcom. That's okay. my theory, and I'm sticking to it. Or did the show ER begin as a sitcom and then morph into a no, series? No, it was based on the Michael Crichton. He devised the show. Mm. Aye, that's, that's what I think is going on here. It's or the it's logical a, explanation. It could be a very brazen lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Soderbergh is a bakery chain. Yeah. It's, it's not Soderbergh. It's not yeah. Soderbergh. So it's called the Pretty Sugar Bakery. It's in Palmerswood oh. District of Detroit. I was hoping it would be called um, Stephen Sourdough de Berg. Well, <laughs> unfortunately it was not, so yeah. Um, Didn't you say Don Cheadle was also a part yep, of it? Yeah, Don Cheadle. Didn't they have a big falling out um, I don't, I on don't the know. Ocean's movies? He was pretty upset with how his role got depicted in the end. Uh, if he Could did, I'm, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, so um, Don Cheadle and George Clooney have worked together mm. quite a bit in the Ocean's films. They're also in Out of Sight, which is a soda book film. And mm. so we've got f- acting opposite the Coens in three additional mm-hmm. films. Or could have done. Yeah, but didn't, but very nearly did. <laughs> Which films have got Coens in as actors? Uh, none that I know of. But <laughs> definitely at least three that they might were, also going, include they were George Clooney. They were going to be. I can, uh, <laughs> I can articulate on this one if you so desire. Articulate, please. Okay, yeah, they were very nearly cast in the Ocean's films. So the characters of hold my phone differently because of my stupid glasses. One second. You're not wearing any glasses. I know. Is I that the problem? <laughs> so uh, the Coen brothers were almost cast as Turk and Virgil Malloy in the Ocean's films. These were played okay. by Casey Affleck and Scott Kahn. They were originally going to be uh, Owen and Luke Wilson, but they couldn't do it. And I then the Coen, the Coen brothers very nearly did it. I never heard the Coen brothers. But the fact that they're not known for acting. I mean, those aren't two very they, uh, hard roles to mm, do. No. And they the might also be mates with Soderbergh and he might have just thought it would be a fun... Yeah. Mm. Basically, they're brothers who constantly argue. Right. But, uh, yeah. The mm. Ocean's films are big in-parties of um, chums getting together and yeah. hanging out and not trying to make a proper film. Yeah. yeah. 
Hmm. These all sound plausible, Ian. Yep. <laughs> Apart from the one that doesn't, which is the one I'm most inclined to believe. <laughs> which one's that? The ER. The ER. Could be that that version of ER exists, but George Clooney was not the main character, or, or, or in it. Not only was George Clooney in it, someone else who was in perhaps another version of ER that we know well was in it, and that was actress Mary McDonnell. But we'd um, stop talking about the multiverse. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, we all remember the sitcom ER, don't we? <laughs> oh, this getting confident. <laughs> do you, do you starring, have a theme? Starring, I believe, Elliot Gould. You... Who was ah, in the oceans? Who was in films. the oceans? Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Since you know it so well, can you please sing us a theme tune of the sitcom ER? I can't. I can tell you a tiny bit more, bit more about it, but that's about as far as my research went. Um, which was so it lasted one year. Mm-hmm. Um, it starred Elliot Gould, and it was it reviewed sort of fairly well. There's a review I've read, or an extract review I've read which says that there was a little bit of gross out comedy in it, which didn't suit, but other than that, it's quite good. And what role did Clooney play in this? Clooney played. He fell into my trap and checked his phone. Uh, Mark Ace Colmar, an ER technician. I mean, I've written a lot down, so <laughs> like, I wasn't just making anything up on the fly. Ian has added additional detail for all three of these. Mm-hmm. To further trick us, I don't know. I'm going with the bakery because Ian is aware of a bakery chain called Soderberg. I'm also going with the bakery just because he's put a lot of effort into the other two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you want to know more about the bakery? <laughs> oh, yes, please. Sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So yeah. Um, it was a location that they bought, ended up buying, which is where they shot a bunch of outside. There was a boxing gym and other things on this row. They ended up renting it out to uh, the bakery. Uh, they're now a part owner of the bakery. I'm not sure it survived COVID, actually. I tried checking on it. No, he didn't look at his phone once for that. That seems to be knowledge in his head. Which I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh, the, the ER one seems the weirdest, but if that was one that Ian made up, he knows that we'll look really stupid if we don't go for it and we get it wrong. And I don't think he's that. Come pretty. on, we all remember the <laughs> ER sitcom from the eighties. Ma- Mark Ace Colmar wasn't the name of George Clooney's character in that one episode of Friends that he was in, um, or something, was it? Uh, it's not some kind of a super elaborate trick. No, wasn't he playing Doctor Ross in that? Who's Doctor Rossy in? Well, Doctor Ross is the character that uh, George Clooney later played in in, ER, the, the, exactly, in a less exactly. a less well known show, ER from the nineties. <laughs> yeah. Ten years, exactly mm. ten years later. Actually. I I I can't remember the the uh, character bakery. name. Bakery. Yeah, bakery. No, wait. <laughs> 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 Maybe I'll go with a Coman's one because when you said, "Oh, um, he could have acted in them," and then like in any film, it's kind of like, "Well, some." Mm, um, mm, I do <laughs> Confuse me. Coen Brothers. Let's go Coen Brothers. Okay, so we've got one for Coen Brothers, mm. one for Bakery. Bakery. ER. Stop looking at me. One for ER. <laughs> Coen Brothers. Coen Brothers. Okay, the Coen Brothers were very nearly cast in the Oceans films. They've uh, mentioned it in an interview. Uh, Soderbergh's mentioned it in an interview, although Soderbergh gets asked about it and goes, I can't quite remember that, but it sounds like something George would have suggested. So George Clooney had just been working with them and Oh Brother, Where Out Thou? And they were kind of bickering and fun and you know he thought that would be a good fit so when the uh owen brothers dropped out 
That's who they nearly went for. The Owen brothers. That's, it not the Owen brothers. Well. The Wilson the brothers. The Wilson brothers. Yeah. Owen and Luke Wilson. So George Clooney was in the sitcom ER in 1985. And this what? was his first break. It did star Elliot Gould. It also had uh, Mary McDonald, who went on to be in ER 10 years later. He was done a, he'd been a kind of sitcom actor. He'd done various things. It lasted a year. Apparently it was all right. Never seen it. So that was true. The one I have totally made up was The Bakery. Um, and I was, I was hoping you'd go, hang on, wasn't out of sight in Detroit and then kind of work your way yes. around that <laughs> backwards. So that never happened. But there we go. I thought that was yeah. quite successful. <laughs> Sorry to wow. you. But, but the actual Soderbergh bakeries do do a really good cinnamon bun. I didn't know there's a bakery called Soderbergh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I Googled Soderbergh and bakery, which I did to check he didn't own a bakery, this did not come up. Yeah, next time you're in Scotland, I'll take you to Soderbergh. Oh, thank you. Andy, what have you got? Ian put a lot more effort into his than I did mine. <laughs> I shouldn't have gone last. I am going to tell you about three formulaic Elvis Presley films. Specifically, films starring Elvis Presley in which he plays a down-on-his-luck singer with an interesting second career who nevertheless needs to take an unappealing job to make ends meet, following which he meets an unattractive woman with whom he searches for treasure. So there's three of those, <laughs> one of them I made up. Uh, number one, Animal Magnetism from 1960. Elvis plays Joey Siskin, an out-of-work club singer slash veterinarian's apprentice who makes ends meet by cleaning cages at the local zoo. He falls for attractive ape handler Anne Brewster, and together they search for hidden treasure in a forest with clues given to them by Bobo the Gorilla. Yes. <laughs> but will they find it before dastardly animal smugglers get there first? Number two. Oh, no. Uh, do they? <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've not. I've not written the ending yet. Okay. Um, number two, Easy Come, Easy Go from 1967. Elvis plays Ted Jackson, an out-of-work club singer slash former U.S. Navy lieutenant who makes ends meet by working as a deep-sea diver. He falls for attractive go-go dancing yoga expert Joe Symington, and together they search for sunken treasure and a newly discovered shipwreck. But will they find it before dastardly rival couple Gill and Dinah get there first? Is Bobo in it? Yes. Number three, Tickle Me from 1965. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Elvis plays Lonnie Beale, an out-of-work club singer slash rodeo bull rider who makes ends meet by looking after horses at a ranch that is also a fitness and weight loss retreat for sexy models. He falls for attractive fitness trainer Pam Merritt, and together they search for hidden treasure in the nearby ghost town of Silverado. <clears throat> but will they find it before dastardly gangsters get there first? I mean, this was the period where Elvis was just churning out, what, three pictures a year or something? Thereabouts. We've got a 1960, a 67, and a, and a 65. Tell you what, I'm so looking forward to this Baz Luhrmann biopic now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Who, who's playing Bobo? 1960, would that still be at the height of his fame? Well, that's pre-Vietnam War, isn't it? Because he had the big yes. comeback special, was that after he that was served in the very Army? late 60s or very yeah. early 70s, that one. I believe the comeback special was 68. Okay. I don't know. But that would... <laughs> yeah. But I don't know too much about his film career. I know Jail Other than had, the fact Jail he made Rock, some. and then that's it. Viva Las Vegas was a film, yeah. I think. Love Me Tender. But the songs named after the films, or the films named after the songs? They normally had a song in that was the same title. Right, okay. G.I. Blues? Elvis and the Treasure Ape. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Why? You, yeah, second job, deep sea diver. What a great mm. second job to have. 
I want you to create like a Twitter bot that just generates Elvis movies. <laughs> <laughs> Can you read me Elvis's character names from each of those films, please? Uh, so from Animal Magnetism, uh, the gorilla one, we have Joey Siskin. From Easy Come, Easy Go, the diver one, we have Ted Jackson. And from Tickle Me, the rodeo slash sexy model one, we have Lonnie Beale. Ted Jackson's the most made-up one, possibly. Animal magnetism fits for the film because he's working in a vet Mm. and she's an ape handler. Correct. Easy Come, Easy Go doesn't really have anything to do with deep-sea diving. But Andy used to be a scuba diver. Okay. So might have called back to that. Did he ever find treasure? Let's ask I found a pretty shell once. <laughs> oh. I've lost it now. I used to enjoy scuba diving, then my ape died. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I think that might be made up, just because Ted Jackson is an easier name to make up mm. and might be based on real life experience. But you do know that when I make up names, I do try to go for cilia. Yeah, which is why I think that now I'm doubling down on that because (laughs) 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 you've cottoned on to the right. I've cottoned on to the right one. You're trying to. I am going to go for Tickle Me because I think in 1965 to have a film that suggested such audacious (laughs) acts of ludity would get. Yeah. Would lose Elvis all of his credibility and he wouldn't have had a career after that. So, yeah, if you couldn't flush a for toilet, the sake of, you know. For the sake of scandalousness, Tickle Me's the bluff. Well, since my bobo left me, <laughs> I found a new ape to say. <laughs> Treasure ape. <laughs> Treasure ape. <laughs> I'm going to go for Tickle Me because it's a terrible title. It is rather, isn't it? Um, so we have uh, one easy come, easy go. Uh, yes, that's me. Uh, two Tickle Me's and uh, one animal magnetism. Treasure ape. Treasure Ape Ape is the lie. No! (laughs) Can we make it, though? I I think so, yeah. Yeah. We just just need a hologram of Elvis and um, probably Andy Serkis to do a mocap for Bobo and we're Mm -hmm. laughing. Yeah, it's a deal. It's not based on anything. I just made up a Treasure Ape, the first movie from Nerdfest Pictures (laughs) coming 2024. Is that too ambitious? (laughs) (laughs) No. Honestly, I just I looked at the um, list of 31 feature films that Elvis made. I picked two at random and they happened to have the exact same plot. And that was where I got the idea from. <laughs> They're all universally terrible. Did he make these after his military service or was this his way of getting out of... I don't know, but he, fa- he famously did military service. Yeah. yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, in Germany? I think it was Germany, wasn't it? I think he was American. It would have been the American. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is time for the return of Shameful Gap. And this is where one of us, or maybe more, have not seen a famous nerdy film and then watches it for the very first time and comes to the pod to reveal their findings. So, uh, it's me. I have yet another Shameful Gap. And I have never seen Cool Runnings. Shame. Since it was half Christmas a few days ago, we wanted to watch a film that wasn't a Christmas film, but Cole Runnings has a sleigh of sorts. 
snowy, it's cold, <laughs> but it's not a Christmas film, therefore a perfect half Christmas film. So yes, watched Cool Runnings for the very, very first time and loved it. So I'll tell you a little bit about the plot for the, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you've all seen it, but mm, just as a reminder. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Something interesting uh, in the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's one of those films that is always on the TV around Christmas time. And I've mm-hmm. seen lots of little bits of it, mm-hmm. never in order and never all the way through. But I'm pretty sure if you piece together all the scenes I have seen from it, I've probably seen most of it. Uh, okay. So Cool Runnings is very, very, very loosely based on the true story of the first Jamaican bobsleigh team who made an impact at the 1988 Winter Olympics in Calgary in Canada. I can't remember who said this, but I read somewhere that about 1% of the movie is true. Uh, The rest of it's completely made up. The film starts in Jamaica and we are following the story of Doris Barrick, who is played by Leon Robinson. And he is striving to represent his country at the 100 metre sprint at the next Olympics. He comes to the final qualifying race. Uh, he's lined up to some fellow runners. So we've got Junior Bevel, played by Roald E. Lewis, and Yul Brenner, um, just a nod <laughs> to the actor, uh, played by Malik Yuba. Unfortunately, Junior trips during the race and he brings down both Doris and Yul with him and none of them qualify for the Olympics as a result, even though they were all expected to. So when Doris is trying to argue his case with the president of the Jamaica Olympic Committee, he is turned down. However, he notices a picture on the wall featuring his father, who is also a sprinter, and another Olympic medalist. This man is bobsled medalist Irving Blitzer. And he had this idea that sprinters would make the best bobsleigh team. But for some reason, he is no longer involved in the Olympics. He is, however, living in Jamaica as a bookie. So Doris tracks him down. He now looks like John Candy, acting in his last film that was released before his death. After much initial reluctance, Blitzer agrees to coach his team of bobsleighers, which now involves the two sprinters that were also disqualified, and Doris's childhood friend, Sanka Coffee, played by Doug E. Doug, who is a pushcart derby champion. Multiple training montages and some very creative ways of raising money. Scenes later, they arrive in Calgary and nobody wants them to be there. They are ridiculed for even wanting to be equals with all of these Olympic sports people. So I won't go any further than that because then we get into sort of spoilers, but there are many things that they need to overcome a few things that they have to learn about themselves before ultimately deciding that rather than trying to measure up to other people, they need to embrace who they are and bobsled like Jamaicans. So the film was directed by John Turtlelaub and came out in 93. The cast all said that when they signed on for the film, it was supposed to be a serious sports drama film. It's got a lot of heart in it, but fundamentally it's a comedy. I really, really enjoyed it. It's not an original concept for a sports movie to initially go with, you know, winning is all that matters and um, it's all about dreaming the impossible dream as an underdog. But then actually it's who you are as a person that matters most. Very it's, much Rocky. It, it is Rocky thing. on ice. Yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, other than when Rocky was on ice. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what? I really miss that. 
I haven't seen that a lot in movies today. They sort of go out of their way to try and come across as not corny. So they'll try and throw all sorts of complicated plot narratives in there to try and kind of keep you guessing and try and avoid the corniness. But I, oh, I miss the days where things are corny. I miss simpler times. <laughs> Probably the most recent big successful one I can think of is Phantom of the Open, which came out in March oh, with Mark yeah. Rylance. Did Dodgeball maybe kill it off by making fun of it? Because mm. after Dodgeball, I can't really think of many classic underdog feel-good mm. sports stories until mm. maybe Eddie the Eagle. Which was the same Olympics, 1988. All the underdogs at that one. Yeah. Those kinds of movies are nice because you generally know where they're going to go, but you do get swept up in it all and Mm. you do want them to succeed. And I think that's kind of down to the performances, which I thought were really strong. It's one of those where you forget there's an actor putting on a performance. It's like you truly believe they are who they are um, and you sort of with them every step of the way. Are they good actors? Because I think they're relatively experienced, aren't they, the actors? Right. There were some well-known names attached to those roles initially. And then they decided to go with mostly uh, unknown actors, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is probably part of that believability. And cheaper, because Disney were very cheap at the time. Mm. This is true. John Candy is great, as ever. All of the like the four people in the main bobsleigh team had their own stories and, and kind of reasons for being there, which made it all the more powerful, I think. This being a Hollywood film from nearly 30 years ago now with mostly black protagonists, mm-hmm. is there a racial aspect to it? Is that foregrounded? Is that there in the background? Is it ignored because it's a Disney film? Do they deal it's, with that? Yeah, it's not explicit and they don't um, kind of say the reason that they are unpopular when they arrive at the Olympics. is uh, The reason in the film is because of their inexperience. Apparently, it's not. That's not true. That's not part of the one percent. No. Uh, apparently, um, they were quite um, warmly embraced as, as as a team. But yeah, it doesn't. It, it's not explicit in terms of uh, racial divides. They weren't planning to do the four man bob thing. They actually turned up to do a two man bob. Entered that and came thirtieth out of thirty eight in that race, and then decided, hey, let's enter the four man as well. So they just kind of simplified that in yeah. the in the movie. I think. I watched the trailer for it and there's one bit where you see them all arrive and then they all sort of walk out of the airport into the fresh air and how cold it is for them. Mm -hmm. I've actually done that (laughs) and it is ridiculous. It is so cold when you walk through those doors that it feels like you're wearing no trousers. It's it's just ridiculous. Can you confirm you were wearing trousers? I was definitely (laughs) wearing trousers. Yeah. But the wind just goes straight through. Would you like to know some facts about the movie? Yeah, go for Mm. it. So, uh, in 2014, the Jamaican bobsled team qualified for the two-men bobsled at the 2014 Winter Olympics in Russia, and they described themselves as Cool Running's the second generation. One of the original 1988 team, he is now General Secretary of the Jamaican Bobsled Federation, and he said, I don't think the support for the team, like we've seen over the past three days in, uh, in Russia, would have been sustainable without the ongoing appeal of the movie. It's known as cold buttocks in Norway. <laughs> <laughs> 42 minutes into the film, the sound of a TIE fighter can be heard as uh, one of the uh, Swiss sleds goes down the track. Yeah, I, I caught that when we watched that. Yeah. Does anyone know what the phrase cool runnings means? It's said in the movie, so obviously you'll all know. <laughs> uh, there is one thing we should maybe ask is who has seen it? <laughs> I have seen it. Oh, right. Okay. It was one of my favourite films as a kid. Had it on VHS and watched it many times. 
Like Dan, I've only seen bits. Yeah, a lot of the plot as Hazel describes it was familiar in the sense of, I've seen that part and I remember that part, but I don't think I've sat down and watched the whole thing as a film. I assume it's on Disney Plus now. It It is, is. uh, yeah. yeah, So I could. I I do think you will enjoy it the possibly the most out of all of us because of the the, the journey oh. that can go on and yeah. what happens in the last eight minutes. It, I was in tears. Okay, it really got me. So the phrase "cool runnings" means go in peace or safe journey. Hmm. If you're fed up of life and you know <laughs> what's going on. Fuck you, the USC Supreme Court, all of that kind of stuff. Um, watch Cool Runnings because it's just a, a really warm, feel-good thing. There's a recommendation. Cool Runnings <laughs> for when you're fed up of life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I second that. I hadn't watched it since I was very young and there was a little part of me that thought, oh, I remember this fondly, but am I going to spoil that memory? Is it mm. not going to be very good? It was. Yeah, it's it's just really easy watching. And, and then it has, I think, one of the all-time classic feel-good endings. Mm-hmm. I, I loved that ending. And of course, I remembered it very well, but it really it got me again. Mm-hmm. Feels like we'd do a gritty reboot on Hulu or something. <laughs> Honestly, as, as we were watching it, I thought, oh, someone's going to remake this, aren't they? And it's oh. going to be dark and grim. And... That original serious sports drama mm-hmm. that it almost was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how many people in a bobsled out of ten? <laughs> Other than the Olympic regulated four. <laughs> yeah, you, you can fit up to ten people in your bobsled. Oh, that's nice. I'd put all of you in my bobsled. Oh. So you're giving it five out of ten? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, a solid eight, so like two lots of mm. two teams in okay. one sled. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. How did you end up watching Cool Runnings? I turned on the TV, I searched for Cool Runnings, pressed... It was half Christmas. No, no, I understand. So it was, it was half Christmas, so you were looking for a Christmassy movie. Right. I just think, because if I said to Alison, hey, Alison, I'd really fancy watching Cool Runnings, she'd go, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> why? What, then, well, she'd say, why don't you want to watch Treasure Ape? <laughs> why don't you say, hey, Alison, do you want to watch Cold Buttocks? <laughs> she'd go, are you okay? <laughs> It's just, it's not what comes to mind when I think Christmas movies. Well, it was only oh, half Christmas and yeah. it, it, it ticks some of the Christmas boxes, but not all of them. There's ice um, mm-hmm. and it's uh, family friendly and feel good. And that's really the best parts of Christmas apart from the ice. Besides, <laughs> I'm not okay. <laughs> that's why I wanted to watch it. <laughs> Fuck you, Supreme Court. That is all for today's episode of Nerdfest. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back in a few weeks' time. In the meantime, do stay up to date with us on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. And just because John's not here, don't think that we're going to leave you high and dry without a reward if you're going to do something nice for us, like leave us a review. Dan, please tell the listeners what they could win. Well, we are going to come to your house. Mm-hmm. We are going to put you on a flight to Calgary. Mm-hmm. We are going to take you to the Winter Olympics and we're going to shove you all in a bobsleigh with George Clooney. You'll be pushed down the slope by an ape and hopefully at the bottom mm-hmm. there'll be some treasure. Ooh, lovely. And, uh, George Clooney being a doctor twice over will help you if you crash. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> okay, great. Until next time, you've been listening to... A man who tried singing in the rain once but just got wet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, an ape searching for treasure with Elvis. I need a new one. <laughs> <laughs>
a man who is now CEO of the Shit Creek Paddle Company. Congratulations. Uh, a man down on his luck who works part-time as a club singer slash podcast contributor. <laughs> Where's the treasure? I know. Oh. <laughs> and I'm cold buttocks. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Uh, who is the nerd who is going to fill their shameful gap today? Well, it's not me. No? Not me. I watched it many, many times on VHS as a child. We haven't, I haven't said what the film is yet. Uh, it's not me. <laughs> <laughs>